The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. We're starting a new series this morning called My Father Is, and it's going to be a four-week series as we talk about who God is as our Heavenly Father, some attributes of God, and just getting to know Him better. And so let me just read this passage for you. We're in Zephaniah chapter 3. If you don't know where Zephaniah is, it's near the end of the Old Testament. But Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it'll be on the screen behind me, and you can also open up our website, acfak.org, and you can follow along there. But let me read this. For you guys, it says in verse 17, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at the time I will deal with all of your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. And so this series is called My Father Is. And if if you were to say My Father Is, how would you fill in the blank? There's, There's hundreds of people in this room, and so you'd all probably say something different. Maybe you'd say, my father is very creative. Maybe my father is strong. Maybe my, my father is, uh, is a guy that comes up with really good ideas. Maybe my father is really funny, you know. Um, or maybe depending on your upbringing, it may be something negative. You say, well, my father is irritated. And just, when I think of dad, I think irritator. When I think of my dad, I think overwhelmed. My father is really overwhelmed with life, you know. Or, or for some of you, my father isn't in the picture, you know. For some of you have never had an experience with your dad. And so it brings up all kinds of feelings and all kinds of emotions. But the series isn't necessarily about your earthly father, although it does start there. We get a picture of, you know, what dads are here on earth. But, it's, but we're really talking about who God is and what kind of, what kind of father is God. Because scripture talks about God in these terms, that he is a father. And so it begs that question, if he's a father, what kind of father is he? And so this morning is called, my father is joyful. My father is joyful. Is that how you view God? Or, or maybe if you just, just take a step back, have you seen your dad as somebody who's joyful? There's a lot of dads in here today, and I don't know if you're the kind of person that experiences a lot of joy. Uh, I, I was thinking back to my childhood, and I'm like, when did, I, when did I see my dad as somebody who's really joyful? And the one moment I came up with, I tell a lot of hunting stories. You just kind of have to get over that. Uh, I'm just a hunter, and I I enjoy hunting, and I grew up with it. And so my dad's moment growing up, I think, of greatest joy was when 
I shot my first white-tailed deer. And we were in Missouri, and we do this hunt every year. And I got the deer down, you know. And, and he comes walking through the woods because he heard the gun go off. And he comes up. And I have never seen my dad so excited in my life. Like, I mean, I'm still shaking from the adrenaline of, you know, shooting this deer and kind of reeling from this whole thing. Like, I, I just killed something. Is that okay? I feel a little, a little bad. Like, I don't know. Is it, he was just walking through the woods, you know. And then I shot it. And anyway, so I was dealing with the emotions of that. And then my dad's just like, he is ecstatic, way more excited than I was about killing my first deer, just stoked, excited to do it with me and to be there with his son and to experience this thing together. But, you know, I also saw my dad as, you know, overwhelmed a lot and he, he worked hard just uh, really trying to care for the family. And, and I don't know, I don't know if you see God this way. Like, as you think about God, do you see God as a joyful God? As one who looks at you with joy? Or do you kind of picture God a little disappointed with a frown on his face, kind of grumpy most of the time, pretty irritated with what's going on in this earth? How do you view God? And so that's what this, these four weeks are going to be about, is just sort of reframing our picture of who God is so that we might live more like our true Heavenly Father and experience some of the things that He experiences and just to know Him in that way. So I want to encourage you just to, would you guys just make a commitment to be here all four weeks for this series? Just to be here every single week. And I just, I think that God's going to speak to us in some powerful ways as we do that. And so I uh, just encourage you to be around for that. I've also been, been encouraging everybody, be praying for somebody this uh, this summer. Uh, it's a great time of transition in our city. If you see a moving truck on your street, I want you to see that as an opportunity. So like bake some banana bread, you know, get your family together, go down, be the first one to go say hi to the new neighbors. And uh, I just, I believe that God wants to use these relationships in our lives and he wants to use them to expand his kingdom in Eagle River. And so look for chances. Uh, ask people, it's real simple. Hey, are you new to town? Awesome. Do you, do you have a church home? Have, have you gone to church? It's an easy way of just uh, plugging people into this community and uh, also just creating opportunities to share the gospel with people. And so um, we're going to get into this text, but let's pray together first. Jesus, thank you so much for the people in this room. Thanks for all the families. Thank you for all the dads here. Uh, I just pray your blessing on them today, God, as we think about all the, all the ways that you, you have blessed us, God. Uh, I, I just pray for those that are, that are struggling in this room, maybe those that barely made it to church this morning and life's just really hectic right now, God, that we could all be fully present here for just a few moments. God, that we could hear your word and that you would speak to our hearts, God. We don't want to just waste this time or come up with ideas in our heads, God. We really want to be moved from our soul, God. So I pray for that. Uh, bring back the sun, sunshine, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been really nice, right? Like, bring it back. Bring back the 90 degrees. So anyway, like I said earlier, you can follow along in the insert or uh, online on acfak.org. Uh, there's a little tab on there to click on, and you can get our notes there. But we are in Zephaniah. And, and Zephaniah was a prophet. And, and he was a prophet for this guy named King Josiah about 600 years before Jesus. And like a lot of the prophecies that we read about, his prophecies are a little doom and gloom sometimes. And he speaks a lot of what's, about what's called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. You know, which really means the judgment of God. And, and really what he's saying is, dad's coming home. Just wait till dad's come home. You know, how many of your moms said that? Wait till dad comes home. And you knew you were busted when that happened. And so a lot of what Josiah is speaking, of, or what uh, Zephaniah is speaking about to Josiah, is this day of the Lord, this judgment that was to come for those who are unfaithful to God. 
And, and uh, they kind of saw him because of this. They saw God as like the enforcer. How many of you, when you think of your dad, you think of the enforcer, right? This guy makes things happen. He stops things from happening. Like to this day, when you hear a belt slide out of the belt loops, it sounds like a machine gun to you. And you kind of like duck your head like something's coming. I know to, I know to run when the belt's coming out of the belt loops. That, that sound, you know, like still to this day, it freaks me out. But they kind of saw God that way. Like God is the enforcer. You know, God is, God is coming. And so he's warning them of their unfaithfulness. And he's like, hey, get ready. Because there will be a day where there's a line drawn. And there will be those who were faithful and those who were not. And you get to decide which, which side of this line you're going to be on. So he's, he's challenging them. But there's also a segment of this population that is faithful. A segment who knows that they are trusting in God and they are following in God. And they're not doing it perfect. Don't get me wrong. From, even from this time before Jesus, it was still about grace. It was still about God's faithfulness and our wickedness and our rebellion and his willingness to, to meet us where we're at. But these were the people who were following God, who were trusting in him, who were trying to be faithful to God. And as you look at the story of the church and the story of humanity and of the story of Israel, you see that there's always this remnant of people, this segment of the population that is willing through the hard times, through the difficult things to be faithful to God. And so he says this to this group of people in verse 17 of chapter 3. He says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, he will exalt over you with loud singing. So this is an interesting picture that he paints of God. And I don't know if, if this collides with your view of God. I don't know if, 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 it, if it works well with your picture of God. But he starts off with this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. God is mighty. This is sort of like the, my dad can beat up your dad, right? Like, my God is mighty. He is strong, and he will do the saving. You don't save yourself. God does the saving. So know this. God is mighty. He is strong. And then he says this. He will rejoice over you with gladness. And this is an interesting thing to think of our heavenly father rejoicing over you with gladness. Like he's not rejoicing over football. He's not rejoicing over NASCAR. He's not rejoicing over the stock market. He's rejoicing over, over you with gladness, which may collide with your picture of God again because you're thinking, I don't think of God that way. Like when you wake up in the morning and you think of God, do you think God is rejoicing over me? You know, as you walk throughout your day, do you think that God is just rejoicing over you? And as you lay down in bed at night and you think of your day or you think of your life and all the decisions that you make, do you think, man, God is just, he's rejoicing over me. I don't, know, I don't know how you receive that. For me, that's hard to receive. For me, I, I struggle receiving that. I, I, I kind of reject that picture of God. Like, I just don't know that he could. I mean, I mean if, if God really knows me, how could he rejoice over me? So I struggle with that a little bit, but that's what he's saying. God is rejoicing over you. Then he says this, he will quiet you by his love. Which this kind of implies pain, doesn't it? He will quiet you. That means that there's some kind, of, some, some kind of tension within you. There's something going on inside you. So he's implying like, hey, God's going to quiet you in your pain, in your turmoil, in your struggle with his love. That the love of God will be so overwhelming that you'll be quieted. Which maybe you've experienced this before where you've gone through something hard and you've been just with the right person. 
And they don't have to say anything. They don't have to do anything. They're just with you, and that's enough. And that literally kind of quiets your soul. And that's what he's saying, how God's love is to you. And then this last one is kind of challenging. It says that he, he will exalt over you with loud singing. God exalts over you with loud singing. If you're ever wondering why the music is loud in church, it's because God likes loud music. So God sings loudly over you, which is kind of weird at first if you think about it. Um, I don't know if your father sang over you. Maybe some of you had moms who, who loved to sing, and you still remember like her singing over you or your brothers and your sisters. But then he, he's speaking of God singing over his people. This is kind of a form of intimacy a lot of us are pretty uncomfortable with. And I, I don't know, for your earthly father, was your earthly father a singer? A lot of guys struggle with singing. Like, at church, one of the most difficult times for men is the singing portion, right? Because you're like, where else do we do this in the world? Where we get together and we sing songs together. Birthdays, you know, maybe a baseball game. But at church, we sing together and it's kind of hard to do. And, you know, I'm not a singer and so it's kind of weird. And um, I don't know if you struggle with that, but it's this picture of God singing over his people. Like, like, a, like a mother would sing over their child, but he's, he's our father singing. My dad was a, was a, a singer and uh, still is. He sang in a quartet growing up. And so I have this affinity for quartet music. And uh, just, he was, a, it, it, we grew up in a Baptist church and quartet music reigned king, you know. And so we would travel around the East Coast going from church to church. And my dad would sing with these three other guys. They had a whole, uh, a whole thing set, set up. They had songs picked out. You know, they had like a little routine that they did in the middle. And I think back to my dad in those moments. And when he was singing, I think my dad was most joyful. I, I just, I can't think of many other times other than, you know, when we were together that one day in the woods that my dad was more joyful than when he was singing with these guys, just singing about the good news of Jesus. And so there's just something really interesting that I think uh, maybe, maybe collides with our view of God when we see him this way. So what kind of father is God? God is joyful. God is is joyful, which you might agree with that. You're like, okay, I can get that today. God is joyful um, because you can kind of be joyful with a frown on your face, right? You can kind of be a little depressed and a little bummed out and you can still experience joy. And so some of you, some of you might receive that like, okay, yeah, God's joyful, but he doesn't really like us very much, right? He's not very happy with the world. He's, he doesn't experience very much pleasure with the world. He's just kind of bummed out, but he has maybe a deep-seated joy, you know? But, but let's, let's kind of push this a little bit because I, I believe that God takes pleasure in you. I believe that the world literally in all of his creation was, was built to give him praise and to, to give him pleasure. And so we get this. We like pleasure. I like pleasure. I like good coffee. I like good food. I like to go on a hike uh, with some good friends. You know, I like good music. So we get this idea of pleasure but then we start to wonder, is pleasure okay? And depending on your church background, you might have, if you've been to church before as a kid, you might have gone to a church where pleasure was actually the enemy. Uh, some churches, it's this way, where like if you're having too much fun, then you're bordering on idolatry. 
And so, like, you can have fun in youth group, but don't have too much fun in the house of the Lord, right? And so, like, like no football throwing in here. Like, just, this is a holy place, and holy means that you don't have too much fun. Uh, just kind of calm yourself down, because if you're not careful, you're going to start worshiping the fun instead of worshiping Jesus. And so, stop having so much fun to protect yourself. But, John 10.10 says that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but God came to give us life to the fullest. Life to the fullest. What does that mean? I think that involves pleasure. I think that God, uh, God created pleasure, you know? God built us for pleasure. Do, do you think he didn't know that food would taste good? He was like, wow, they really like that. Look at that, you know? I mean, I mean, he just, he built us this way. How about sex? Like, I think God knew that was going to be a good thing. I think he created it that way. Like, he wasn't surprised. Man, they really enjoy this. Wow. They keep doing it. I don't know. It's just bizarre. I don't know what's going on. Like, it wasn't a surprise to God. He, he built these things. But what we know is this, is that when God creates perfect gifts, when he creates beautiful things in the world, that what happens is we see that Satan distorts those things. See, Satan isn't creative. Like, he doesn't come up with new things. He doesn't create things. God is the only one that creates things. But what Satan does is is he distorts those things. In 2 Timothy 3, 4, it says, People will become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You see that in our society? See that in the world? Like, we just love the trappings. We love all of the gifts. We love the creation rather than the creator. Which isn't that the story of all of humanity, right? God gives humanity beautiful gifts. He builds us into this beautiful creation and gives us all kinds of opportunities. And then what do we do? We worship the gift instead of the gift giver. And so 2 Timothy is warning us, like, hey, listen, pleasure's not bad, but you can begin to worship Pleasure, Like God creates friendship, and then Satan turns that into manipulation, right? God creates sex, and Satan creates pornography, right? Which is a twisted version of, of sex. God gives us food, and then Satan creates overeating and gluttony, you know, diabetes, all the things that end up hurting us. And so, again, there's a way to appreciate the beautiful things that God gives us within their context, within the framework of how God has laid out for us to live. So you can end up worshiping these things. I don't know what you tend to, to worship instead of God. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's sex. Maybe it's uh, some kind of food or some kind of drug. Maybe it's alcohol or something. It has become sort of like a, a driving force in your life. Uh, maybe it's music. And you just, you're obsessed with music. Maybe it's uh, some kind of extreme sport or something you, you love to do uh, here in Alaska. You know, for, for a 14-year-old kid, maybe it's like a video game or something that you're just like, you wake up every day wanting to do this, this plays a video game. For us, it was Goldeneye. Remember Goldeneye when it came out? Anybody? Like Goldeneye. We played Goldeneye all night long uh, for like days. Uh, maybe for a, a 17-year-old girl in the room, maybe it's your boyfriend that, that this was supposed to be a gift, this relationship, and, and, but it's become sort of this, this idol in your life, and it's all you think about is this other, is this other person. Or maybe you're a new home buyer, and homes can own you, right? Like, we got a home, and I know the first thing we do is we walk through, and we come up with ways to make it better, right? Like, we got to put a new kitchen, uh, you know, redo the kitchen, redo the tile, we got to redo the backyard, and pretty soon you find out that you don't have any relationships, you don't go to church anymore, you know, you don't read the Bible, you don't study, 
You don't go out and even enjoy life anymore because you got this house. And so it can, it can start to become a, what was, was a gift can become something of idolatry. And so he's warning you of that. But again, this is no reason to avoid pleasure because God takes pleasure in us. And here's what's wrong, too. If you, if you start worshiping pleasure, I can always tell when someone is a worshiper of pleasure because their world comes crashing down when there's pain. Like, like if you worship pleasure, if, if your end game in this life is just to go experience more pleasure, then when you experience pain, there's, you have no grid to see that and, and process through it. Habakkuk 3.17 says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Again, he's saying pleasure is good, but joy is better because joy can make it through the pain. We want to be people of joy. He's saying, though these things aren't going well, though there's no food, though your job's falling apart, maybe your boss has been getting on you for some stuff, you know, though maybe you're struggling financially as a family, maybe you've got some physical ailments you're working through, though everything in the world is falling apart, he says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Don't you want that? Don't you want a deep-seated joy that can weather all of life's stormy seas, right? I mean, I want that in my life. But the question is, do you have to ignore reality to have joy? Like, is this kind of like a, like, like what do you do with this? I, I think a lot of people, they maybe look in at the church and they're like, man, those people are just, they're, they're happy, but they're ignorant to the reality of this messed up world. Like, can't they see that things aren't going well? And see, I think there's always been a movement in our, in our world to, to acknowledge the pain. Like people really want to acknowledge that there's pain in this world and that things are not perfect. And it comes out in, in things like our music. Um, any 90s kids? Who grew up in the 90s? Come on. Got some 90s people? All right. So you guys remember grunge, right? Remember grunge music. So like I was listening to some grunge this week, listening to some uh, Soundgarden, Black Hole Sean, right? Come on. So like 90s music, 90s music, grunge music was all about the pain. It was all about acknowledging that, that this world is kind of messed up in a lot of ways. And, and there's always kind of been, especially from the youth, a youth movement to acknowledge that there's pain. And it comes out in art forms and it comes out in music. And so there's always this desire for that because life is hard. Life is difficult. But at the same time, although there's always music that talks about the pain in the world, that talks about that things are kind of messed up, there's always some other version of this song. Okay, that's good. So what song is that? Happy, right? Everybody knows that song. Because it's happy. So there is always some version of this song, and it goes something like this. Life is awesome. Just party. Have a great time. It's amazing. That's it. Like, that's the whole song. And it just says that over and again. Life is awesome. Just party. Have a great time. And there's always some kind of song like that on the top of the charts. And you have to think, why is that? Why does that become so popular? Like, why do we want to hear this? I'm so happy. Come along. 
Is that really as deep as you go, right? It's like, is that it? I'm so happy. Life's so happy. Just bubblegum and lollipops and life is awesome. And why is this so popular? What, what is that? I think that, I think that in our culture, and just as people, there's always been this desire both to acknowledge the pain, acknowledge that, yeah, life's kind of messed up sometimes, but then also to, to, to experience joy amidst the pain. To experience that, like, there, it's going to be okay. Because that's what these songs say. It's basically like, it's okay. Life's good. Life's going to be good. And I think that there's part of us that just needs to hear that sometimes. Don't you just need to hear that sometimes? Maybe somebody here today just needs to hear, like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Like, there is a tomorrow, and, and you're going to get through this, and it's going to be fine. I mean, somebody here, like, you just need to know that. And I think especially for, for the dads in the room, I just connect with this. As I have gotten older, um, I've just found that slowly I feel like the joy is leaking out sometimes. Like, the weight of life just sometimes it starts to starts to crush you doesn't it do you ever feel like you're just kind of getting crushed slowly like it's not all at once it's not like a dump truck dumps weight on your shoulder it's like somebody standing next to you and they've just got bricks and they're just like one at a time you know like okay all right, I just got promoted my job. Now I got more work than I ever needed, you know, before. I, you know, okay, now I've got this house that I got to have to take care of. Or, you know, now I, I have kids. And so I got to take care of my kids. And, you know, like, I mean, you ladies experience this too, where there's just this weight of life. And when the weight of life comes on and things go wrong in your world, what, come, what leaks out? Joy. Joy just starts to disappear from our lives. And I just, I see this in my life. And I feel like, I don't feel like I'm honoring the life that God has for me. I feel like there's so much more to experience. We were, uh, we were camping this weekend. Um, my family went out to, uh, to Hatcher's Pass and got up there in the woods and set up a tent and camped out. And on, uh, I guess it was Saturday morning, 2 a.m., I hear Amanda, Brian, Brian, Brian. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are we getting eaten by a grizzly bear? Like, what's going on here We're in the woods? And, and I, 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 I you know, look up and I can't see very well. I'm trying to get the junk out of my eyes. And like, here's Cadence our eight-year-old, and she has, like, puked all up in her sleeping bag. Like, it's just a mess. And Amanda's there, like, trying to hold it. She's like, help! (laughs) Like, where do we begin? There's five of us in this tent, you know? We're all stuck in here, and she's, like, you know, holding it. And I'm like, okay. And so it it was caught mostly by her... This is a gross story. I'm sorry. It it was caught mostly by her, like, her, uh, her pillow pet. So she's got this, she, she's got this ladybug pillow pet, and it's just like filled up. And so I'm like, okay, and I'm like getting out of the tent, and, and so I walk down. And so here I am standing knee deep in this frigid water of Willow Creek, and I'm rinsing the pillow pet out in the water, and I'm just like, this is my life. This is, this is me. This is my world now. I rinse puke off of pillow pets in the water of Willow Creek. I mean, this and I just, I, I was thinking about this Sunday, and I'm like, man, it'd be really easy, easy to lose my joy, wouldn't it? I mean, I'm not real happy right now with my whole life. I, I was mostly like, let's just throw all the junk back in the truck, and let's just go home. I mean, just, when you puked in the pillow pet, it's time to cut your losses, and just get out of the woods, and just go home. And so I'm like, let's just get out of here. And I'm like, no, no, we're going to push through this. We're going to fight it out. We're going to fight for joy here. And so, I mean, she started feeling better, and we got everything cleaned up, and went back to sleep, and... You know, I just, 
I feel like life's that way. I mean, you just find yourself sometimes, you know, rinse and puke out of a pillow pet, and you're like, this is my life. And in that moment, it's like you get a decision to make, don't you? You, you get to make a choice in that moment. It's like, do I become bitter? And do I neutralize all emotion to protect myself? Because I think as men, that's what we do. You know, when we experience hard things, when we work through di- difficult things in life, we just start to neutralize all emotion. You know, we never get super high. We never get super low. We just kind of mellow it out. And in that, we stop really experiencing joy like we should. And I've got, I've got a small group of guys that, that meets at my house. We, have a, we meet... Um, every Monday night, typically during the, during the school year. And one of the questions that we ask each other is like, are you experiencing joy in your life? Because I found that I think a lot of men need to be asked that. Like, are you experiencing joy anymore? Because I think we all have a, have a distant memory of back when, when, when life wasn't so complicated, when I didn't have so many responsibilities and so many things to think about, that, that you experienced joy and, and you could kind of feel a little free-spirited. But here's the thing about joy. True joy doesn't ignore the pain of life. It transcends it. True joy doesn't ignore the pain of life. It transcends it. It literally is able to look beyond the pain that we experience. So God is joyful. We say God rejoices over us with gladness. He will quiet us by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. So this is our God. And whenever we see an attribute in God, when we see something in his personality, we have to ask ourselves, how do I get some of that? We have to say, if we were, if we were created in the image of God, then we were created to be people who experience these things that God experiences, like joy amidst the pain. And so now that we know God is, God is our Father, and he is a joyful God, we have to think, well, how do I relate to this God? How do I, how do I connect with him? Um, there's this term in Scripture when we connect with God as our Father, and it's the term Abba, Father. And, and, and this term Abba is a, is a really intimate term. Jesus uses it a lot. It really doesn't come on the scene until Jesus comes to the earth. And he says things like this. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet, I will, yet not what I will, but your will be done. So Jesus on the cross, as he's preparing to die, he says to God, he says, Father, Abba, Father, take this cup from me. And when Jesus talks to God, it's like this intimate relationship. And Abba really is better translated daddy. It's like, it's like a daddy relationship, which, you know, that's a difference in language when you've got father. Who calls her dad? Hello, father. Who's going to call her dad today and be like, hey, father? You know, like, what kind of relationship is that? Father God. But that's kind of how, I mean, this is really where most of us spend our lives with God, right? Like, hello, Father, please heal my child from a cold, keep us safe, give us food, and help me to succeed at my job, right? Father, this is my father. And then there's, there's Daddy, which that's a different kind of name, right? You don't just call anybody Daddy. It's, a, it's an intimate relationship. And this is really important, you guys, when it comes to relating to God. I mean, if, if, you don't, if you don't move over to this side of seeing God as the Abba Father, as, as a daddy, then you're going to live in this distant relationship. And he's always going to be the enforcer. And this guy that you keep at a distance, and he's always disappointed with you, and he's always frustrated with you, and you don't really have this intimacy. But Jesus, he uses this metaphor, and we, we, we see it used over 165 times in the New Testament. 
This idea of, actually in the Gospels alone, we see it used 165 times, this idea of God being Abba, Father. And Jesus instructs us to, to pray to God that way, to relate to him that way. And for the Jews of this time, this would have been like, uh-uh, like, no way, no, I'm going to talk to him like Father. Like, there's a clear relational line here. I don't move over to this side of Abba. It's like Father. We keep the line very clear. And so it would have been really challenging for them, just like I think it is for most of us. I think if we're honest, we have a very distant relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we don't see him as that joyful, and we don't take that much joy in him. So another question. Do you guys, anybody have adoption in your family? Anybody have adoption? Like either you were adopted, a few of you have been adopted, and maybe had adoption in your family. Adoption is a beautiful picture of this, and and it's the reason that Scripture uses this term adoption over and over again. And the people that I know that have gone through the process of adoption, um, one of the most beautiful things for them is when their kids start calling them mommy and daddy. It's, it's a beautiful moment. Like when you adopt a child and they begin to see you like mama and daddy. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a big moment because you realize, okay, there's an intimacy and a connection that we've made now in a deeper way. Like, like a trust that's been built there for them to be willing to relate to me in these terms. And so in Scripture, Scripture talks about you and I, if you are a believer in Jesus, that you have been adopted into the family of God. And what you need to understand about adoption is that in this culture, if you were adopted, it was final. Like, it, it, it couldn't be changed. It's different. Like, if you were a biological ch- child in this culture, and you kind of looked at your dad wrong, and you did the wrong thing, it's like, you're out of the family, kid, so watch out, right? It's like, watch out. You, can, you get kicked out of the family and disowned. But if you were adopted, then that was a legally binding agreement, and it could never be undone. And so he uses this term adoption for us, that we're adopted into the family of God, which means it's, it's kind of like neither height nor depth nor anything in creation could keep us from the love of our Heavenly Father. That's kind of what he's saying. Like, we cannot be kicked out of the family. You can't do enough wrong things. You can't wake up tomorrow and screw it up, and then you're like, out of the family. Dang it. I'm going to get back in the family. How do I figure out how to do that? It's like you will be in the family forever. But I want to I draw a distinction here real quick, though. I think this is important because I think a lot of us as Christians, what we say is this. We say, hey, we're all God's children, right? You heard people say that? We're all God's children. And I think it's out of a desire for us all to see our value as human beings, that we were all created by God, bearing the image of God. But you need to know this, that not everyone is God's child, like, not everybody on earth is one of God's children. There is a, there is a line that's drawn. 1 John 3.10 says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So he's saying, hey, listen, there is a line to be drawn. And, and you can kind of tell. He says, like, those who are my children, they kind of act like me. They kind of act like me. They, they practice righteousness. And again, it's not being perfect. It's not that there's no grace here. There is grace, but it's just that there are those who are in my family, those who have been adopted as my sons and my daughters. And you know what they do? They practice righteousness. You know what else they do? They love people. They just, they love people. That's how you know my kids is they look like me, he's saying. They look like me. I love people, and so my kids, they look like me. They love people too. This is how you can tell. Galatians 4 for, I think, really brings both of these concepts together beautifully. It says, But when the time, when the set time had fully come, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So there's a lot of beautiful stuff there, but he's basically saying, listen, at this, at this point that you're adopted, you become one of his children. Then he sends his spirit into you, and his spirit helps you to relate to God, like Abba, Father, with this intimacy. And you're no longer a slave, but his child. We talked last week about how there's this slavery that we all find ourselves in when, when, we, when we give ourselves to, to unrighteousness and all these addictions and things in this world that we end up enslaved to those things, enslaved to all of what we call freedom. And he's saying, you're, not, you're no longer a slave to your sin, but you're a child of God. And you can call him Abba, Father. And then he says something really cool. He says, so God has also made you an heir which this is awesome. It's not like you're adopted into God's family and it's like God reluctantly kind of gives you a home because you had nowhere else to go. I think some of us see ourselves that way, like, all right, God, I don't know what else to do. And so God's kind of reluctantly like, well, I guess I am God. I guess I should, you know, take you into the family. No, he says like, when you're a child, when you're adopted in the family, then you get all the benefits, all the benefits of being a child of God. You're an heir to his promises which is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. You're a son and you're a daughter of the king. So let's look at it this way. So I was thinking about this this week, and I have three kids. And uh, what if I came home today after church, and I get home, and there they are. They're, they're sitting on the couch, and they've got their hands crossed, and they're just all quiet, which would be a miracle. Um, or something went horribly wrong before I got there, right? And so I, w- I would see them, and they're, they're all sitting there on the couch, and they're just really quiet, and I'm like, hey, guys, what's going on? And they're like, we're just sitting here being good, Dad. I would be like, weird, but I can appreciate that. I'm just going to go over here and let you keep being good and just see how long this is going to last. Well, So what if I came home tomorrow from work, and there they are again on the couch, hands crossed, looking down at the floor, and I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? They're like, well, we're just, we're being good, Dad. We're just, just being good. I'm like, man, this is awesome, you know? And then what if like another day, I come home, and there they are, and I'm like, you know, what are you guys doing? I'm sitting on the couch, I'm just folding our hands. I'm just being good, Dad. I think at some point, I would go, what's, what's going on? Like, I don't think this is okay. I mean, what's wrong with you guys? And like over time, I, I would struggle with that. Like, I don't know that this is healthy. I don't think this is the kind of life a kid should live. And I, I feel like this is the church today. I feel like people come into the church, and I wonder if they see something that looks more like a wedding or like a funeral, you know? Like, when, if you're not churched and you, you, you are new to this kind of church culture, when you come in here and gather with these people who have been adopted into the family of God, do you see, like, Wedding, like something just came alive, you know, or like this is just, this is a celebration. Or you're like, did somebody die? I feel like, I feel like people walk into the church sometimes and they're like, did I miss something? Is there like a funeral yesterday? I don't, I don't know what's going on. And it, it's, it's, the, it's this different way of seeing things. Like many of us were brought up in the church that way where it's like, just don't do the wrong thing. 
If you can just avoid doing the wrong things, if you can just sit on the couch and make it to heaven, then God is pleased. But I'll tell you this, if my kids lived that way, I would not be pleased. I'd be like, get off the couch. I want you to play tag. I want you to roll around in the, in the grass. I want you to go color. You know, I want you to go eat some junk food. You know, I want you to go have fun. This is this beautiful life that we have together. I, I want you to enjoy it. I feel like that's God's message to us today. And I think especially for you dads, I want to encourage you, go out and enjoy the life that you've been given. And sometimes it's a choice. I get it. Sometimes it's a decision that you make because your circumstances are not all that joyful. But I do believe when our joy is grounded in this promise of Jesus, when we know that we are heirs to the promises of God, that there's this grounded joy that we can have even in the messed up, horrible stuff that we experience in life. And and I think the world needs a church that's willing to do that. I I think the world needs to see a church that's alive. A gathering of people who are excited about God. And I get it if you're like, Brian, listen, I don't do cartwheels in the aisles here. Like, I'm just kind of chill. Like, is that okay? That's, that's perfectly fine. I mean, let it come out however it comes out. But let me encourage you to think back to experiences in your life where you've been joyful. And let me ask you, does that joy get expressed in that same way about God? You know, think of something that you've had great joy about. Do you have that kind of joy about God in your life? And I believe that that's the kind of joy that God wants to see in you. I believe when we worship as the church, that there should be that deep-seated joy that doesn't ignore the pain in the world, but actually transcends it and is able to say, man, God, you are so good. And every Sunday when we gather, it just gets renewed. We We get together and we remind ourselves of all we've been saved from. And we get together as a bunch of screwed up people and we go, listen, man, God, is, God has brought us through a lot. And here we are another week later and I'm still kicking. Praise God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship from that place. And I think when you start there, that your worship will be different. When you start there in your day, your life is going to be different. You're going to experience joy in new ways. Here's the other thing. If I saw my kids doing that, I would encourage them to get out and play and get up and enjoy it. But even beyond that, what I've been convicted as a dad to do is to join them in their joy. Is that it's not enough to sit on the couch and watch my kids have fun on the floor. Like, I want to get on the floor with them. And I want to roll around in the grass with them. And I believe this is what God has for us. He doesn't want to just watch you experience joy. He wants to be with you in the joy. He wants to join with you in that. Jesus, he was the perfect picture of joy that transcends pain. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight of sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus, here we see the perfect picture of this. Who experiences joy in a crucifixion? It's it's interesting. Jesus experiences joy in crucifixion. He experiences joy in the pain. He is a perfect picture of what it looks like to go through the circumstances and to know joy. So that's my encouragement to you today. I just pray like today you'd have an amazing Father's Day and that you'd let yourself know joy. 
that you let yourself experience it, and that you would consider all that you've been saved from. And, and when you consider that, that it would come out in your worship. It would come out in your time of prayer. That it would come out in the way that you love your neighbors and you love your coworkers. That that joy would come out. Because the world needs to see a church of joy. The world needs to see people who know what they've been saved from and are, are thankful for that every day. And what we just read was that God, he will be rejoicing over you. He will be quieting your soul with his love, and he's going to be singing over you with gladness this week. Let me pray. God, I just, I thank you. I thank you for this past past week and all that you've saved us from. God, I thank you for your grace on my life, God. And I just, I ask that in this place, we could be a community of those who know who we are without Christ and also know who we are in Christ. And Father, that we would be able to worship you in, in just a few moments from that place of gratitude. God, I pray for those in this room who have repressed joy, maybe haven't experienced that kind of joy in a long time. God, that you would help them to find spaces in life to let that out. God, I pray for us as a church that our community would see ACF Church as a place of joy, not a place that ignores pain or closes its eyes to all of the war and all of the strife in this world, God, but as a community of people who have a deep-seated joy that is grounded in the promises of Jesus. God, I pray it be seen in, in our love for our neighbors and our love for our families and our love for our church. And God, help us to worship here in just a minute. And I pray it just would come from our guts, just gratitude for all that Christ has done for us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.